When I originally started my firm, Pacific Campaign House, it was born out of being at priorities where we had a $42 million digital budget and not a single dollar was spent on Asian American voters, not one. Welcome to the Ronan Project Podcast, a show about Asian Americans in politics, rocking the boat, breaking the rules, and taking on the big fights. I'm your host, Bill Wong. Buckle up, it's time for Ronin's to Roll program. Hello, Ronin Nation. Welcome back to the Ronin Project Podcast. Today, we have an award-winning digital badass on the show who also happens to be an Asian American. She's the genius behind a new ad focusing on Asian American voters that the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee is backing with a seven-figure budget. Cheryl Horry is the founder of Pacific Campaign House, nationally recognized as one of the top digital firms for digital outreach to minority audiences. PCH is so good that they won seven polys at the 2022 American Association of Political Consultants Poly Awards Conference. Over the last two cycles, Cheryl has pioneered digital data-driven initiatives to increase AAPI, Latinx, and African-American cultural competency for Democrats. Cheryl has trained hundreds of political activists, community leaders, and candidates in 15 states across the country. And in 2020, Cheryl was named one of the National Association of Asian Pacifics in Politics and Public Affairs Top 40 Under 40 Political Strategists. In 2016, Cheryl was the Deputy Digital Director for Priorities USA Action, the pro-Hillary Clinton Super PAC at Priorities USA with a budget of $42 million spread across 4,800 pieces of digital creative. Cheryl managed the creative teams in the largest political digital program in electoral history. Hi, Cheryl. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Bill. Thanks so much for having me and being called a digital badass. I think I'm going to take that with me. Have you introduced me everywhere? <laughs> is that? <laughs> I think I'm going to send you a plaque. You know, this is our opportunity to talk shit actually in reality, but it's being recorded. <laughs> Noted. So this, this podcast hopefully will be inappropriate enough to entertain Asian Americans all across the nation. Well, let's jump right in and talk about this new DCCC ad. It's a banger backed by a groundbreaking investment by the DCCC to move Asian American voters in what will be a battle to save democracy this year. I love that it's not the typical token Asian ad that caters to narrow, stereotypical Asian-only issues. Instead, it takes on abortion. Can you tell us about the thinking behind the ad? Absolutely, Bill. I think that you really hit the nail on the head when you said that it is a different way of approaching talking to the Asian American community. For folks who maybe have not seen the ad or not heard of the ad, the general concept is we are following a young couple through the various stages of their relationship. So we see the text that the girl receives after their first date from the guy saying, hey, I had a really great time tonight. I hope we can do this again soon. And then we see a montage of photos with little hearts. We see their relationship status changing to being married to each other. We see her texting her mom a photo of them at his med school graduation saying, mom, finally got your wish. I'm dating a doctor. And then we see them reach out to their the family group chat with the news of we're having a baby. And instead of putting words to that, it's they're sharing a photo of an ultrasound and them holding it up for their family. And you see the mom slash future grandmother say, you know, I'm so excited. Like, finally, we're having a grandchild, which I think is a very common thing that we see in Asian American families. And from there, the ad takes a really strong turn in that we've we've followed this couple we're cheering for them we're seeing them fall in love and the relationship develop and suddenly music stops basically both literally and metaphorically 
We then see the husband text the group chat saying, we're starting to see some complications. We're having complications. Please pray for us. Pray for our family. We're really scared. We don't know what to do. And then at the very end of the ad, we see their social media relationship status change from the two of them side by side, where it says married, the woman's photo disappears, and the relationship status just changes to widowed. The end card for that is that healthcare should be decided by families, not politicians. Things that we really wanted to focus on with this ad is telling a story in a different way, in a way that was a departure from some of the more standard political ad formats that we see. We didn't want this ad to be more talking heads or headline clippings or or a white woman being a voiceover talking about how some candidate is really horrible and not looking out for us. We wanted to take a different approach here. As it stands, there are so few ads that are directly talking to the Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander communities, and very few, if any, are really leaning into storytelling. So our objective with this ad was to one, lean into Asian American Pacific Islander values like close-knit families, emphasis on higher education, religious tendencies and backgrounds, and then showcase these values through a relatable modern love story that is seen through the lens of a number of tech devices like text messages, social media posts, and the like. And one of the other things that we really thought was a little subtle nod to our level of cultural competency that we were putting together for this ad was that we know statistically Asian Americans are far more likely to be cord cutters. They're far more likely to be tech savvy. So using all of this tech to tell this story made a lot of sense to us. And then using, or rather trafficking this ad online to cord cutters where they're spending their time also made a lot of sense to us. The theme really kind of hits home in a way that's really unexpected. I also think it's very easy to follow because there's not a lot of, I don't think there's actually any talking on it. A lot of people follow video just on mute as they're consuming it. I think that there's some secret sauce in what you're doing because a very similar tactic was used when California was reaching out to Asian American voters about marriage equality. One of the things that we really wanted to do here was lean into the the digital consumption. We knew that this ad was going to be consumed on digital. So for us, you know, not having a voiceover for this ad was was an interesting choice in our storytelling that because most digital ads play without sound as the default, having the text on screen coming through um, coming through the text messages and the social media posts and, and the like really helped lean into the, the sort of digital consumption that we were seeing there. One of the things that is probably going to be underestimated by the impact of this ad, we'll have a link to this ad in the show notes as well, is that a lot of the people that are going to see this ad and be affected by this ad, it gives them a perfect way to explain it to their parents or their grandparents who are voters. So it provides a tremendous opportunity to bridge from the people who are going to see this back into their extended family and allow them to really frame the issue in a way that's understandable to them about how important 
the abortion issue is and how important it is for families and their medical professionals to make those decisions instead of politicians. Do you think so? Absolutely. I think even taking that a step further is thinking about men in this. A lot of the ad and the story is told through the lens of the husband's perspective. And when we look at polling, we see that typically it is it, it's men that don't necessarily think of um, abortion rights or pro-choice rights as, as a particularly high priority or something that they want to protect. But when it's not just this nebulous political theoretical idea, but something that could directly impact them, it could directly take their partner away from them. If they have other children, it could instantly make them a single parent. Um, we also really, in, in terms of both the older generations of people who might not understand, but also talking to men who might not understand was really important for us. What this ad really reminds me of is Taiwanese McDonald's ad where there's a father and a son who are having coffee at a McDonald's and it's really tense. You could tell that there's something wrong and they're writing, I think, notes on the coffee cup and the son writes a note on the coffee cup, something like, I like boys. And the dad looks pretty distraught. He kind of walks away, comes back after a few minutes and then he writes on the cup something in response, but basically saying, I'll always love you. And there wasn't any conversation. It was just this this exchange. And I thought it was so powerful. And that's what this ad reminds me of. Yeah, I, I do remember that ad. And one of the things I also really liked about that ad is it fully understood both the person who was coming out, but also their father figure in terms of the stoicism, in terms of the not mincing words, not being overly emotional about it. And that's something that we also really wanted to bring to this ad was just an overwhelming cultural competency that we typically don't get with a lot of Asian American ads, if we get any ads at all. For me, this particular ad was, was so important because I feel like we're really giving our community the level of content that, that we deserve. When I saw the ad, I totally got it right away. I knew exactly what was going on and it was visceral. Whereas typically when I see ads, they're just retread ads that were made for white voters that just got overlaid with either Asian language voiceover or Asian language type. And they all seem very superficial. When you came up with this ad, did you get people look at you kind of funny and say, I don't get this? You know, Bill, I actually feel really, really fortunate in that this was an ad concept. It was one of, I think, three or four that were in this sort of storytelling lane that I had pitched to the DTRIP, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. And I was really, really lucky. I feel very fortunate that when they read our concept and our script, that it was something that they wanted to greenlight almost immediately. I will say that when we did pitch this, it was a very extensive pitch. We outlined the tone, what our concept was, the emotion that we were hoping to evoke, how we were going to bring it all the way around. And even having, for, for you actually, I'm curious, th that ad was a minute long, which is much, much longer than the typical political ads that we see that can range anywhere from six seconds to 30 seconds on average. And so for this to be a minute long, I'm curious to hear if you at any point felt like you wanted to drop off the ad or if you were compelled enough to keep watching it through. I thought the pacing was perfect and the pacing made sense. The linear progression of the narrative 
made so much sense that there was no point where it came off the rails where you would want to offboard the ad. Everything had a purpose in the sequencing of the ad, which keeps the attention span of the person who's watching it. Yeah, and that's what we're hoping to see when we put this to the masses as well in terms of sort of the the focus groups and other folks that have seen it. We've heard similar feedback, but again, um just really excited to see how the larger electorate responds. I'm also super happy about D-Trip and their investment in Asian Americans, not just in this ad, but in staff-wise. They have Alan Chen there, they've got Dennis Raj. They've got a ton of Asian Americans in the workings of the D-Trip and all through the, the apparatus. And it's really gratifying to see so many Asian American operatives in play in some of the biggest races in the nation. Do you think this is the sign of the times or just a flash in the pan? I really hope that this is a sign of the times. And the last few election cycles would sort of lean that way in supporting that theory. When I originally started my firm, Pacific Campaign House, it was born out of being at priorities where we had a $42 million digital budget and not a single dollar was spent on Asian American voters, not one. And that was in 2016. So that wasn't that long ago. And so the fact that cycle over cycle, we are starting to see larger and larger investments. The fact that the D-Trip this cycle was making a seven-figure investment in our community is huge. And I don't think should be understated at all. And I think they've also really hired some smart people to be running the show. So I hope to see this continue. And I really hope that it is a sign of the times and not a flash in the pan. With that said, I do think that there is a every single cycle, there is more and more pressure to succeed because we are coming from behind ostensibly in terms of fighting for budget and airtime and resources. Every election cycle, we have to prove ourselves that we deserve these resources, that we deserve this budget. And so right now it's it's a big priority to make sure that for the powers to be, the 2020 wasn't a fluke that Asian Americans turning out in some areas six times the level of what they turned out in 2018, that that wasn't an accident, that we're here to stay. Even when I talk to reporters now, they always cite statistics that are 10 years old and they say that Asian Americans don't turn out, but recent statistics on turnout really have shown that we've stepped up. And I think what a lot of Asian Americans don't realize is how closely the political world actually follows voter behavior and tracks voter turnout and that every one of us who are in the profession can actually see how many in aggregate terms turn out each election cycle so that when we do turn out in big numbers, it really sends a huge message to the political establishment. So for the Asian Americans out there who think that their vote doesn't count or it doesn't matter, it totally matters. In fact, if you ask me, it's the only thing that matters because it's the only thing that we look at at the end of an election cycle is whether or not Asian Americans turned out, whether or not they made the difference. Absolutely. And I've always thought that it was sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy that if we don't talk to AAPI voters this cycle, because we assume that they're not going to turn out to vote, they're too apathetic, and then they don't turn out to vote, we can say, hey, look, we were right. It was a good thing that we didn't spend our money there. On the flip side of that is, of course, if you're not spending money mobilizing them, how can you expect them to just turn out on their own? Every election cycle, API data and API vote put out a voter survey. What I think is really interesting, we follow this pretty closely every time the survey comes out. 
In June of 2020, right as the presidential primaries were happening, that report found that only 30% of Asian American voters had been talked to by either party, which to me is absolutely wild. On the Democratic side, we had over 20 candidates running. Republicans were pouring so much money into Trump. And for only 30% of Asian Americans to have been talked to, just it, it feels like that is a it is an intentional design choice to exclude us. But coming back around to 2022, you know, that number is it's a little bit better. I think it was 50, 52% were talked to this cycle, which I think to say like there's a 20% bump is huge, but that's still very middling. If you had an Asian parent that <laughs> held you to, you know, if you got an A minus, that was not a great grade. 52% is definitely failing. One of the nuances that I do want to point out about that statistic is that in the survey, they ask if they had been contacted and a lot of the voter contact doesn't necessarily come straight from the party per se. It comes from a candidate, so they may not know. And then memory decay in political persuasion is a factor into whether or not people remember they were contacted. But I do think that one of the important points that you do make is that the contact is not necessarily of high quality. And when it's not of high quality, people's retention of that contact is very low. So where I would add the nuance to that statistic is that the voter contact probably wasn't the best. And as a result of it, it did not resonate with the voter. And therefore, in the back end of the survey, when they were asked if they had been contacted, they probably have no recollection of that contact because the attempt at contact was probably really poorly executed for lack of yeah. a better description. I think that's really, that's, that is a really good point that you bring up, Bill. And I think it kind of goes back to the larger conversation that we're having today of what is the level of the quality of relationship that we're building? What is the quality of messaging? How are we delivering it? Is it in a memorable and culturally competent way so that when the survey takers come around, you remember any of that? So I think that that's such a good point. I want to get away from the perspective that Asian Americans aren't being paid attention to, not to say that that's not true. I totally believe that more attention could be paid to Asian Americans, but I also think the key to being able to change that is for us to play a bigger role in the political machinery, because we can't expect other people to understand how much to invest in our community either intrinsically or through our advocacy that says, hey, we're not being paid attention to, please pay attention to us. In contrast, for the Latino and African-American community, they actually got into the inner workings of the political world and got into their leadership and then directed the money to those populations. And that's what really helped build up their political strength and their political relevance in the decision-making that we have each election cycle. What do you think about that? I think that that is completely accurate. We, in terms of claiming our seat at the table, I, I think that there's a couple of things that we as a community really need to acknowledge and own up to. One of the things that happened in the past was if the party said, okay, here's some money for Asian American outreach, which consultant should we hire? We actually didn't have consultants that we could refer people to just because it was a chicken and egg type of thing. But you have a very successful firm. You're an Asian American woman founder of a political campaign consulting firm. 
Can you tell the Ronin Nation about how you got here, what your challenges were, and how you've managed to build a successful firm in what's basically a white male-dominated industry? Um, I'm so glad that you asked because I think it's it's a conversation that I've been having more and more. So PCH, like I mentioned earlier, was born out of having to take a backseat to a very male, very pale group of pollsters who said that API voters didn't really matter. It was too small of a voting block to move the needle and we were too apathetic to turn out. And so post-2016, which ended up disastrously for us, I said, you know, I don't believe that that narrative is true. And I looked around and there were not any other Asian Americans who were picking up the mantle of running digital in a culturally competent, smart, cutting edge way that wouldn't treat our community like an afterthought. Some of the challenges, though, (laughs) with this include hiring staff that is reflective of the work that we do. Whenever you're the first, and I think I can pretty confidently say that I'm the first Asian American woman to run a full service digital shop at the federal level, is when you're doing work that needs to be culturally competent and you don't want to hire a bunch of white men to do that work. But when you look around the digital space and specifically the digital political space, that's a lot of what's out there. So when we're putting up job postings, ask trying to desperately trying to hire people 90 percent of the resumes we get are from white men and part of me wants to say did you look at our website at all and see any of the work that we've done but also i think it's a matter of our pipeline just has not been built yet finding digital campaign finding campaigners that are asian american first is already hard enough but finding people in the digital niche space is is even more complicated we do have a, a ways to go but one bright spot is that I see a lot more Asian Americans getting into the space now than had been previously. And I think that there are a lot of Asian Americans who really want to make this a profession and a craft, which is really exciting to see because these new Asian Americans are fearless and they're ambitious and they love the rough and tumble aspect of politics, which really sets my heart on fire. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we are starting to see more folks come into this space. And it is, it's exciting to see folks from our community who are still enthusiastic and bright eyed, and they haven't been beaten down by the system yet, but who are really coming in for the right reason. Well, we've also got a ton of really great Asian American candidates running for office this cycle. Which ones do you think are the races to watch? I think one of the ones which may be a little bit controversial that I'm really curious to see how it plays out is um, in California 45, the Michelle Steele versus J10 race. What to me is so interesting about this is I think one, the Demo- or the Republicans last cycle did a really smart thing by finding an Asian woman to run in this district. For people who aren't super aware, this is in Orange County. It does have a very, very heavy, specifically Vietnamese voting voting population. And so I think it was very smart last cycle for, for the Republicans to recruit Michelle Steele. But this cycle, you know, Democrats have, have come back. They have Jay Chen running. And I think if we are controlling for ethnicity to an extent, where they're both East Asian candidates, these two candidates are really going to have to focus on their records, their values, and sort of their ability to play within that district. I'm really curious to see how this plays out. 
And I think that we as Democrats do have a pretty strong chance here, especially when looking at Michelle's record, to apologize for working on the bipartisan bill to condemn Asian hate. So if you're there to represent your community, but you're not looking out for them, how does that end up playing out? This race in particular, I am eager to, to see how it goes. Michelle Steele also had endorsed Siri Kim, a candidate in Texas that had said some very unfortunate thing about Chinese and the coronavirus. So I think that there are going to be opportunities where she has some vulnerabilities from the Asian American side of things. When Jay Chen obviously has a great resume, I think he went to Harvard. He's a military intelligence officer. He's also a community college trustee, which is a great ballot title. And he also is a very strong fundraiser. Historically, Asian Americans have avoided getting into politics, and we've got a fair number of hobbyists who try playing politics, but they're not really good at it. What do you think Asian Americans need to do to claim their place at the table where the big decisions are made? I think that we need to start acting like we belong at the table. If we don't believe it ourselves that we deserve a seat at the table, nobody else is. As a part of that, accepting budget crumbs that we get of, oh, we have a little bit of extra money left over is no longer an acceptable option. And we as a community need to believe that. Beyond that, we also need to take time to really get our house in order. We need to unify our community and our efforts. If you are in the AAPI political organizing space, you hear a lot that we are not a monolith. We should not be treated like a monolith. And I think that non-AAPI operatives definitely tend to do that. But at the same time, when it comes to having a seat at that table and at a table that we know was not built for us, we need to be unified in, in our objectives. We need to be strategic that in knowing that when we elect more Asian Americans, whether they're East Asian or South Asian or Southeast Asian, that benefits the community as a whole. If we if we don't believe that we deserve a seat at the table, then it's almost impossible to expect that anybody else will see that too. If we are okay being second-class citizens when it comes to budget numbers, then externally beyond the community, they're going to see that too, and they're going to be okay with it. If we're okay being quiet and, and leaning into some of those Asian stereotypes, if we're quiet, we're meek, like we're just going to work really hard, we're going to put our heads down and we're not going to ask for more, then everyone else is going to be okay with that too. So I, I think that really when it comes to us having a seat at the table is like, we need to be loud about it because we're not going anywhere. We're the fastest growing voting bloc in the country. Republicans are spending an outsized amount of time investing into us and winning our votes over. And it's about time that, that we really step up and, and claim what's ours. Fantastic. I think those points are a great way to end the show on a high note. That's it for today's show. Please check out the show notes for more information about Cheryl's company and the DCCC ad will be running in Asian American battleground districts all across the nation. Thanks for listening in, Ronin Nation. We'll see you next time. If you are inspired by the exploits of the amazing Asian American badasses on the Ronin Project podcast and want to find out how you can learn more about politics or help Asian American candidates, click on the link in the show notes to join the Ronin Nation's national progressive movement to inspire, organize, and empower Asian Americans. Until next time, Ronin's Roll Program.